thank you. And so uh, this evening um, we come again to do something that we do every Sunday evening here at Norwich Baptist Church, and that is to talk about the most wonderful thing that we can experience in our hearts and lives. It is to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to come to faith in Him. It is to place our trust and our hope in the Savior. It's called the Gospel, and that's why we preach and why we teach this. And it's tremendous uh, to uh, be able to say that there are people that respond. And we've had, even this morning, those that have responded to the fact that we were able to speak and to teach and to talk about these things that are so important. Now, you know that I'm English. I, I like to say, and you're all fed up with this, I'm not the one with the accent. You guys are, okay? I am English, and I speak English, so that's that. You, on the other hand, are Canadian, and you speak English, or you try to, and that's something that happens. Winston Churchill, of course, was a great leader during World War II. You may have heard of him. You may have seen pictures of him. He used to wear a bowler hat and he had a big cigar. And he would say, we'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them in the fields. We'll fight them in the streets. And indeed, he was a great inspiration. And he was able to defend Britain uh, during the course of World War II. In fact, Europe is free because Britain was prepared to make a stand as it did. Yeah, do I feel good about that? Of course I do. But at the same time, we did have the English Channel, which meant that attacking an island is always a challenge. One day, Winston uh, with Churchill was having a conversation with a man, and the man was speaking and explaining what he wanted to say. And Winston Churchill butts in, just simply stops him in full stream as he is talking. And the man wanted to continue to finish what he had to say. And so when a moment arose, he sort of jumped in and he tried to butt in, and Winston Churchill turns to him and says, Stop interrupting when I'm interrupting. Do you see what was going on? Stop interrupting when I am interrupting. Our Lord Jesus was used to people interrupting him. And we made the point this morning that we in our lives can interrupt the Lord Jesus when we call out to him for salvation, and he'll listen to us. And he'll talk to us. But people were always interrupting what he was saying and what he was doing. And one day he was speaking to a crowd in a crowded house. Uh, the, the front row appears to have been kept for the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people. Uh, but Jesus is in this house and it's full of people and the street outside is full of people. And as our Lord is speaking and talking, suddenly little bits of dust start to fall in front of him. And he carries on and then suddenly he looks up and there the roof has been opened. And he sees the faces of four men looking in. And he's interrupted. As they lower their friend down on a mat, a blanket, whatever you want to call it. Because they couldn't get into the house to bring their friend who was paralyzed. And that friend needed to see Jesus. And these four men had faith so strong that they were determined to get their friend to see Jesus. But Jesus was interrupted. He was talking and he was interrupted by what was taking place. On another occasion, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And a chap interrupts them and, and says, look, we've got a dispute over our inheritance. How rude. To, to make that interruption and to try and talk to the Lord Jesus as he was talking to the disciples. But Jesus speaks to him. Another time Jesus is sleeping in the back of a boat and the disciples come and wake him up. They're really terrified because the water is beginning to get rough and the boat is beginning to bob around and Jesus is interrupted. He's resting 
and they're afraid of the storm and they interrupt to talk to him and to ask him to help in the situation that they find themselves in. And only a few days before our Lord was to die on the cross, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he's interrupted by a blind man who shouts out, Jesus, blind Bartimaeus. And all the people around him say, shh, be quiet. And he shouts again because he wants to be heard. He wants to meet Jesus. He can't see, but he knows that Jesus is passing by. And so he interrupts the Lord Jesus on that journey and he calls out to him. And all these interruptions are important for us to understand because Jesus wants to be interrupted by those who call to him for help and for encouragement. But the account of an interruption that we want to discuss this evening involves our Lord Jesus and two other people. It involves a man called Jairus, who was an important man. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was the man that people had to respect. He was the man that people wouldn't interrupt when he was speaking. And so he's speaking to Jesus and he's got a problem. And it's a problem that I guess every father, every mother, but particularly I can understand from a father's perspective, your 12-year-old daughter is lying sick and dying. And you'll do anything to try and help her, anything you possibly can do. And so he's speaking to Jesus, and he's encouraging Jesus to come, to follow, to come to her home to his home rather, where the little girl is. He begs Jesus, the scriptures tell us, he begs Jesus to come to his house and to heal his daughter. We know that Jairus' request is urgent. Of course, for any one of us, it would be just as urgent. No time could be lost. And right at the critical moment, Jesus allows this woman to come and interrupt what's taking place. I'm guessing Jairus was not particularly happy about it, but Jesus has to stay. He stops the journey towards the home of Jairus. Now, interestingly, we know very little about this woman. We don't even know her name. But we're told that she wasn't well. She had a chronic flow of blood, and this situation, this condition that she was experiencing had lasted for 12 years. And we know a little bit about these sorts of things, and this condition probably made her feel weak and lethargic and tired most of the time. It was not a great situation for her to be in. And we're told from the scriptures that we have read together that she had visited all the doctors, all the physicians that there were, and we're told in the scriptures that she had spent her livelihood, all the money that she had, towards seeking medical help. Her money was gone. So she's lost her health and she's lost her wealth. But worse still, the condition that she had meant that she was unfit for physical intimacy and she was also described as ceremonially unclean. And that curtailed her spiritual life as well. And for this dear lady, there seems to be no hope. She's tried everything. She sought a cure. She spent her money. She's done everything she can. 
and her situation continues to appear to be desperately, absolutely hopeless. And in her situation, she was, of course, not unlike many of us today. What do I mean by this? I mean very simply that she had a hidden problem that was affecting her social life, her spiritual life, her physical life, and her emotional well-being. Yes, it was hidden. Not everybody knew about it. And you see, the thing is, friends, this evening, the Bible makes it very clear, and we spoke about this this morning, that we are all born with a problem that affects us in the same way. What is it? It's the deadly plague of sin. Yet we've tried to deal with it in our own way. We've done everything we possibly can. Some of us have tried incredibly hard. Uh, we've done all the sorts of things that we've been told to do. Our parents have explained that we need to live good lives. Uh, perhaps the pastor in the church, he looks at the young people and he says, you need to live good lives and you've been trying. And some of the older folks in the church, and you look back and you say, yes, I've tried very, very hard. And as Randy and Stephen were talking this morning, it rung so many bells from the times when I used to go knocking on doors here in our town. I still want to get back to doing this, but I, I didn't have anyone to help me at that time. So it was a lonely task. And I was amazed at the number of people who would say, but you know what? I'm really a pretty good person. Yes, I believe there's a God. And I know he loves people. And so because I'm a good person and because he's a good God and a loving God, he's never going to turn me away, is he? And that was the response that people would give. And so we've tried and we've put all our efforts, we've spent all the money, if you like, on physicians to try and help us. And as useless as the woman consulting one doctor after another, we still know that deep down the problem is there. It exists, it's not changed. You see, human effort, no matter how valiant... It's pitifully inadequate. And we see this so often, not just in our own lives, but the lives of people around us. However hard we try to deal with our own sin, yeah, we may be able to go perhaps a couple of days, perhaps a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or whatever it is, and we don't do the thing that we know is there in our life, and we know it's wrong, we know that God doesn't want us to, to, to engage in these thoughts or these actions or whatever it is. We've got a relationship with someone, and we know it's wrong, and it's got to stop. And we try and maybe we go for a, a little while, but then it comes back because that is the way sin works. It keeps on just niggling away. We've tried, but it just never works. Now, I remember as a, as a, a very young teenager going on holiday to Italy, uh, with my family and we visited Rome and uh, my father wanted to take us to the Vatican City. Now you might think, well, you know, why would anyone want to go to the Vatican City? I'm glad he did because I saw things there which have been seared on my mind as to how people try so hard to see some sort of salvation themselves. There may be some of you that 
are from a Catholic background. And so what I'm going to explain now you may be familiar with. But as a young teenager, it, 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 it was a horrifying picture in many respects. So my father made us join a queue, my brother and I. And we're wondering what's at the front of this queue. It wasn't an ice cream stand or anything like that. <clears throat> when we finally got to the front, it was to the Sancta Scala. And it's a staircase of 28 steps rising up. And people were queuing to join this procession of people who were crawling up these steps on their knees. And every once in a while they would stop and kiss a step. And it was the same step that everybody would kiss. I don't know what they did during COVID in the Vatican City at this particular point. Now the steps are reputed to have been the ones that led up into Pilate's house and that Jesus was taken up to go into the presence of Pilate to be tried before Pilate. And the steps that they would stop and to kiss, it was reputed that there was drops of blood that had stained the steps. And every time that step came up, uh, there was a, a glass uh, sort of panel that had been put across it and people would then kiss the blood of Jesus. That's what it was supposed to, to represent. And it was terribly sad to see this. And as I said, it made an impression upon me because the people who were going up these stairs on their knees, some of them were disabled and they were struggling to walk, let alone climb steps. But they believed that their sin could be dealt with, at least for a period of time, by climbing these steps. Now we know that the Bible doesn't say this, therefore we know that this is not right. Therefore we have no uh, um, uh, ability to enter into what was taking place here. You see, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, not by walking up steps and kissing some. In other words, we do not live by somehow saving ourselves through our own efforts. But our own efforts don't have to be a set of steps in the Vatican City. It can be wearing the right clothes and turning up at the right church service and doing the right things and saying the right things and being seen to be right. But all the time in our hearts... We don't know who Jesus is. We've never understood what it is that he has done for us. We don't understand what the cross means. We don't understand what his shed blood means to us. But somehow we feel that by doing this, we'll be okay. Because God loves us, doesn't he? And he'd never send me to hell. Although I heard an account recently, oh, I don't know who told me, but it was so shocking, I, I'd had to take a second take on it a, a, a lady who it's just come to mind who told me and I can't say now <laughs> so we'll, to move on she's going to go to hell because she knows that that's the only answer for her and so she stopped seeking God's help and blessing in her life we can only be saved by all that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross the Bible goes on and says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Isn't that wonderful? It is the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. 
And it was the same for this dear woman who interrupted Jesus. She was at the end of her tether. She had completely exhausted her own efforts, her own finances. She had spoken to everybody who she thought could help her. And there was no help. There was nothing else that she could do except come to Jesus with her hidden problem. Now her problem was hidden. But so too was her faith. She doesn't come straight up to Jesus as many did. No, she waits for the crowd to be pressing around him. There's a plan, a purpose here. And then she simply slips in amongst the people and she reaches out and she touches the edge or the hem of the coat that he was wearing. I show you this. We all know what a hem, an edge is. There it is. And Jesus would have worn a long cloak which would have gone to the ground and there at the ground at his feet was the hem of his garment. And she reaches out between the people and she just touches it. She doesn't come straight up to Jesus. She reaches amongst, she touches them. Her faith was hidden so far as it was unexpressed in words or actions, but she had faith that Jesus could heal her. You know, there's always been a kind of mass contact with Jesus when you think about it. We still see this in the world, perhaps more countries or some countries more than others. And in so-called Christian countries, and Canada would probably still come into this category, one day in seven, most commerce comes to a halt. And many shops are closed on the Lord's Day. As we were walking to church this morning, there was a couple stood outside the Dutch store. And they said, when does it open? They said, you've got a long wait, I'm afraid. <laughs> Tomorrow morning. We remember Christ's birth at Christmas, his death and resurrection at Easter. Spires, belfries, crosses speak of Christ in many places. Many secular books have absorbed Christian concepts. Much classical music is based on scripture and even modern pop songs talk about heaven and hell or God and the devil or good and bad. People get married in church and often at funerals we're consoled by the immortal words of Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's no wonder that so many people feel that simply being born in a Christian country or being born into a church-going family, a family that would call themselves Christians, they think and they feel to themselves that's all they need. But mere contact with symbols of Christianity or listening to your mum and dad read the Bible or pray, none of that will get you to heaven. You see, friends, there has to be a touch of faith from all of us. Now, Jesus had touched many people. We spoke about that this morning. Every time he healed a leper, he touched the person. The one thing you were never meant to do, to touch the leper, but Jesus always did. The man who was not able to speak, he touched him. The servant whose ear had been cut off, Jesus touched him and healed him. But on this occasion, it was the person in need who reached out 
and touched Jesus. Have you ever noticed that before? She knew her need. And she reached out. And she touched the Savior. She didn't wait for Jesus to come and to touch her, to speak to her. If the crowd had not noticed this, they would have been angry because this woman was unclean. She was not allowed to touch anyone because of the condition that she had. The law forbid it. And so it was all done in secret. And as she touches the hem of our Lord's garment, instantly she's healed. And in that instant, something else happened as well. Her problem was no longer hidden. And her faith was no longer hidden either. Jesus healed her. And we also see that Jesus knew her. Now we go back to the Old Testament in Genesis 16 verse 13. Hagar, a very unfortunate situation, meant that this woman who finds herself pregnant is sat on the edge of a well in a desert place. And suddenly an angel comes and she's speaking and she discovers that who she's speaking to is the very same Jesus that this woman whom she touched the hem of the garment. And Hagar says in Genesis 16 verse 13, Thou God seest me. And that's what happened to this woman. Remember, these words give us great comfort and they also give great challenge all at the same time. The challenge is that God knows us. He knows all about us. He knows the secret things in our minds right now, what we're thinking. He knows about our problems. He knows about our sinfulness. Because nothing's hidden from him. You can try and hide it from him, but he knows you. Thou God seest me. Now to close this evening, I want us to think about the hem or the border of the garment Jesus was wearing. There was nothing particularly mystical about the hem of Jesus' garment. But it is rich in symbolism for us this evening. It's rich in symbolism for us this evening that will help us, that will help you and I to know Jesus personally. First of all, notice the hem of the garment, that it is the finished part of the garment. It's the bit that's been finished and completed. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ was triumphant and he cried out, It is finished. The very words that Satan did not want to hear because it meant that Jesus had won the victory. It is finished. But these are the words that give us tremendous hope because Jesus has finished the work for our salvation. The most feared words of Satan, Jesus had accomplished the great work of paying for the sin of the world. Jesus had been born to die. 
Jesus came into the world to do what? We spoke of that this morning, to save sinners. And friends, that includes you and me. But the hem was also the pierced part of the garment. A needle pierces it to be able to stitch it, to hold it up, to turn it up, to form an edge to the garment. And this reminds us, of course, that Jesus was pierced for us. A cruel crown of thorns was wedged on his brow. Rough, cruel Roman nails pierced his hands and his feet. We don't like to think about these things, but this... This is what happened. And eventually a sword was thrust into his side. But friends, I'm going to say this, and I hope you understand this, is that all of that pales into utter insignificance when we grasp the hidden work of the cross. The fact that our sin, my sin, your sin, pierced the very soul of Jesus. Now, sin's always been abhorrent to God. We know that. And we always underestimate our sin. I'm not as bad as that other person. Look at the life they live. But to God, our sin, whatever it is, all of it is abhorrent. And God sees it for what it is. Jesus, the pure and holy Son of God, hated sin. He was sinless, He was perfect. And friends, this is what happened. You may never have realized it, but God took the sins that you and I have forgotten. God took the sins that you and I wish we could forget. God has taken the sins of which we hate ourselves. And God the Father has laid them on His precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it hurt. Like a dagger. Sin pierced his heart and pierced his soul. Jesus would have recoiled from sin. He had no sin. He would have recoiled from just my sin, let alone that of everybody here in the world. But something held Jesus to the cross. Do you think he couldn't have just stepped down? Of course he could have. Could he have called a legion of angels? Of course he could have. But something held him there. Something stopped him from freeing himself. Something made him stay and face the pain. What was it? It was love. It was his love for us that held him on the cross as the sin battered and bruised the pure And the gently spoken, completely holy and perfect Son of God. Thirdly, the hem is vital. The hem holds the garment together. It makes the garment whole. And so does the cross of Jesus to us. Jesus makes us whole. Paul wrote, For I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 2. What is your view of Jesus? How important is his cross to you? You see, the way you answer those two questions will reveal your standing before God. And they will also reveal 
your eternal destiny. Lastly, the hem of the garment Jesus was wearing could only have been touched by bending the knee. The woman had to stoop down as she walks amongst the crowd to find the hem. And her doing this is a picture of the humble, burdened attitude of all those who trust the Savior. There's a hymn we sing, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. A saved Archbishop of England, now, now you don't get many of those these days. <laughs> and he said this, he said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is a load of sin. It is only when we realize that our state is desperate that we can come in submission to Jesus pleading for forgiveness from the one who delights to pardon and cleanse. Arrogance and pride have no place in the individual who would willingly bow heart and knee and head before the mighty King Jesus who was willingly crushed by your sin. What did Jesus say to the woman? Verse 48, he calls her daughter. Now notice that she goes from a woman to being a daughter. Daughter, he says, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now her motive in coming to Jesus was to be healed. No one argues about that. But such is the blessing bestowed by our Lord that she went away with peace in her heart from knowing Jesus. Now many people come to Christ with selfish desires. The man who's a drunk or the person who uses drugs. And they can't do it anymore. They simply want to be sober. They simply want to be rid of the addiction that they have. They come to Christ. The lonely husband or wife. They're desperate for a new start in their family. Everything's gone wrong. The relationship has broken down. The distance between them is so vast. And some will cry out to God and say, Can you help? The sinner wants to avoid spending eternity in hell. So they turn to Christ. Is this wrong? No, it's not. Because God commands us to repent. Does he? Yes, he does. Acts 17 verse 30. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And whatever our motives, our feelings, or our fears, all people everywhere need to obey that commandment and to open their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. No problem is hidden from him. And nor is any sincere faith. Jesus said to the woman, who touched me? And the woman heard him speak. And so did all the people. 
Public confession of faith in the Lord Jesus is of great importance. Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels, Luke 9.26. You see, those who would truly come to the Savior must do so openly. Today, will you bring your hidden and innermost needs and sins to the Christ who gave himself for you? Will you openly trust him and find for yourself that faith in him, that faith that makes you right with God and brings the justification into your life that you need? Amen. Please, think carefully about this. The woman just reached out and touched the hem of his garment and instantly she was healed and her sin was dealt with because her faith was such and we must do the same as we call to him and obey the commandment that he has given to us to repent of our sins